0: Thanks Bronwyn. Well friends, uh, you need to give a great shout out to our tech team. Just uh just now, there's a thousand different things going on at the moment. It's as quiet a building as you'll ever see, but a thousand million different things going on, and we're very thankful to them for fixing all of our problems. The sound's fixed and there's nothing on the screen, and then something that suddenly there's something on the screen. So apologies for not seeing any of those notices, and particularly the photos. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll try and pop a few of those on our Facebook page this afternoon. In fact, those four photos, we'll pop them on our Facebook page this afternoon, and you can see all of those. Uh, but uh, frantically, feverishly working behind the scenes. These guys are doing such a great job. So um, please do thank God for them. I know you can't take a photo of them just now. Maybe I'll take a photo of them later. Thank God for them uh, looking up and out. Well, I noticed a number of you have responded to which country in the world you'd choose to uh, get along to if you could at the moment. Uh, some are saying uh, oh, Bob has said Britain. Uh, Dave has said Switzerland. We've got uh, Alaska. Uh, we've got... Uh, Liam Burrell is just saying cricket, he doesn't really care where he goes by the look of it, he just wants to go to cricket, good on you Liam, Tanzania, Hungary, Norway, uh, New Zealand, Mexico, uh, England, Ian, yes I can understand that very much so at the moment for you guys, Uh, Juliet says India, Uh, Stephen, the land of the free and the home of the brave, well done, well done, Grace very soon after that as well, Hamilton Island, Elizabeth, thank you. Elijah says France. Uh, cricket, cherries, kiwi fruit, apple, apple, I'm not sure what that's about, but anyway, good good stuff. Uh, Canada, Japan, India, the Scottish Highlands, the, M- the Maldives, the West Indies. Yes, there's a game going on there just at the moment, don't switch over. Palau, Canada, uh, and so it goes on. Uh, Iceland and Nepal and Canada, and well done. There's lots and lots of different responses there, but here's what I can tell you. You're not going to any of those places this year. None, all right? Just pull in your expectations, people. (laughs) No, well, we're not going to any of those places at the moment, and uh, you might be stuck with a holiday in Australia, if we're lucky enough. Now, I know not everybody loves camping, but oftentimes uh, I will head in the summertime down towards our caravan that is in Lake Tabari, and there's nothing like the south coast in summer in a holiday van park with a summer storm. It's an amazing scene. In the storm, everybody sees the storm coming, often at the very last minute, and they bunker down for safety inside their tents or caravans. Most of them look for safety, and most of them get under some sort of canopy, if they can, as quickly as they can. And while the storm passes over, no one much is about out and about in the caravan park. But then when the storm passes, people slowly start to emerge out of their places of refuge and they start to assess the scene. And as time goes on and the late afternoon storm passes by, oftentimes the late afternoon storm is met by a beautiful afternoon sunshine. The warm sunshine that comes after an afternoon storm on the south coast of New South Wales. For a time, it was refuge, and then it was sunshine. And the book of Zechariah is about that same motif. For three chapters, we have seen the judgment of God. Over the last two weeks in particular, we've seen God speak through the prophet Zephaniah. And he's spoken about the judgment that will come on all of the nations of the world. The coming doom, or if we were to put it a different way, the coming storm of the judgment of God. And this coming storm will come against a proud people, whether it be the nations of the world or indeed God's own Old Testament people. And yet chapter 3 verses 9 to 20 that Bromwyn read for us just now are the warm afternoon sun after the storm has passed by. This morning, I want to show you from Zephaniah chapter 3 what life is like in and after the day of the Lord, after the storm has gone by. So let me pray, then we're going to dive into this passage, and I hope you find it greatly encouraging as we look together at Zephaniah 3, 9 to 20. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, be with us this morning. We thank you for your word to us. We also thank you that we are able to gather in this way, though in a scattered, as a scattered people, that we are able to gather together. We thank you for those who serve us in technology to pull all of this together. Uh, We recognise that these things are so difficult to do and we thank you for each one of of our team that serves so faithfully in this way. Thank you uh, for allowing these solutions today. We pray now that you would calm our hearts and minds as we come to your word so that we might read and see what you have to say to us and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when Kel and I were first dating, uh, like many dating couples, we wanted to spend lots of time together. It was lovely to spend time together. But the annoying thing about spending that time together was the fact that you had to go home. You couldn't spend all the time with each other. You had to leave each other. You had to go home. You had to sleep in your own bed. You had to be in your own house. And there was a time there particularly through our engagement where we said to each other one day one day we'll be able to not have to go home we'll be able to be together for all of the time this passage in uh, zephaniah 3 speaks of a similar one day on that day this passage speaks on a number of t- at a number of occasions of on, at that time, like verse 9 says, and on that day, as verse 11 says. And this theme goes right throughout this passage. What we're going to see this morning are the things that take place on the day of the Lord. And the first is this in verses 9 and 10. The nations will come to God. Look at verse 9 again. For at that time, I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. For from beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshippers, the daughter of of my dispersed ones, shall bring my offering. On that day, at that time, God says through his prophet that the very same nations who were rightly judged for their pride against God For their lack of faith and arrogance, God will still be ready to save even them. Indeed, on that day, at that time, he will change their speech to a pure speech, or quite literally, of one lip. In other words, so that they might praise God with one accord. And so if Zephaniah chapter 1 told us the reversal of creation into decreation, Zephaniah 3 talks about the reversal of Babel from scattered languages to a united language. The people from far away will worship the God, the living God, the God of the Bible, the God who has revealed himself to the world. And he will save people even as far away as Cush. Now we saw the nation of Cush in chapter 2 verse 12 last week. One of the nations that God would judge for their arrogance. It was a nation far down in the south, most likely around the area of Ethiopia. It was in that day and age considered to be the ends of the earth. And here God is going to save people even to the ends of the earth. And of course we see this start to be fulfilled after the death and resurrection of Jesus in the book of Acts, don't we? In Acts chapter 2. You might remember that many people were in Jerusalem for the festival when the Holy Spirit comes to the disciples. And they began to speak in different languages, languages of all the different people that were in Jerusalem at that time. And though they praised God in different languages, they praised God in those languages with the same words. It was not yet one language. But it was at that time one united message. These people, filled with the Holy Spirit, were able to speak of Jesus and praise him as one messenger from God. Indeed, as the book of Acts moves on, we see a very significant part of the book of Acts in Acts chapter 8. Philip was taken in the spirit to see a particular person. Who was that particular person? Well, he was the Ethiopian eunuch. The man from Cush. Here we see a small fulfillment as the Ethiopian eunuch was a fearer of God but eventually was able to put his trust in the Lord Jesus Christ who died and rose again for him. And we see in Acts chapter 8 just a small fulfillment of the nations starting to come to Christ. The day of the Lord begins with the death of Jesus on the cross. And the day of the Lord will be consummated at the return of Jesus Christ. And in the meantime, we continue to see the nations come to Jesus, united in voice with one praise of God, though different language at the moment. There is one day coming when that language will not be different. Have a look on your screen at Revelation chapter 7. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number. Where are they from? From every nation and from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, a loud united voice together Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The people of God will glorify God with one voice. This is, of course, why unity is so key for God's people. For we have one saviour, one that we praise, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God who is father of all and through all and in all as the scriptures tell us. And yet for a time we see the church divided by language and sometimes culture, but this is not the goal. God will gather a people for himself that will praise him with one lip now with the same message and in the future with the same language. Secondly, verses 11 to 13 tell us that on that day, God will have a renewed people who will belong to him. Look at verse 11. On that day, you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds which you have rebelled against me. For then I will remove from your midst your proudly exultant ones and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain, but I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly they shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord, those who are left in Israel. They shall do no injustice and speak no lies, nor shall there be found in their mouth a deceitful tongue. For they shall graze and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. On that day, God will draw to himself a renewed people who belong to him. Did you notice verse 12? They will be a people who will take refuge in In the name of the Lord. Just as we spoke earlier about people taking refuge in a storm, so these people will take refuge in God. Secondly, in verse 12, they will not be proud, as we saw last week, the the pride that brings about the judgment of God, but they will be a humble people. And as verse 13 tells us, they will be a renewed people, having their deeds changed and perfected. And in verse 11, they will have no shame over the past at all. On that day, God will draw to himself a new people with new priorities, new heart, new loves, new deeds, new outlook on life, new preferences. And thanks to the Lord Jesus Christ and the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, you now are living that renewed life. This is who you are verses 11 to 13 speak about you. Have a look at just a couple of passages in the New Testament that tell us this fact is true. I'll go through them nice and quickly. The first one you see there is from 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Do you see how we're changed? Look at the next one from Hebrews 10. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And so it goes on. We could share lots of passages. The next one again from Hebrews chapter 9. How much more will the blood of, the, of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscious conscience from dead works To serve the living God. And then finally, probably the clearest one, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed uh, passed away. Behold, the new has come. We could look at a whole range of passages to tell us this story. Jeremiah 34, where God will place a new heart within his people. But this is you if you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You have taken refuge in him. You're not proud but humble. Your deeds have been changed. You have no shame over your past. And though in your experience you don't see this perfection of your deeds at this moment, that is true. I hope you can see from those passages that our sanctification is done, completed and absolutely sure in Jesus Christ. Jesus has inaugurated it. It will be consummated in the future, but we can't change what God has done for us. So, brothers and sisters, it's really important that today you hear these words live as you are. Don't fight with God. The old has gone, the new has come. You are a new person. You've been forgiven of what comes in the past. There is no shame in The past, the old has gone, the new has come and you can live with a new heart. You can live with new priorities. You can live with new loves. You can live with new deeds. You can live with a new perspective and preferences in this world. You are a renewed people in Jesus Christ. Thirdly, on that day, we rejoice in God. Verses 14 to 16 tell us this story. Look at them there. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. What would have been noticed in the first readers of the book of Zephaniah is that God here addresses his people as Israel, not as Judah. The nation of Judah, we found out in chapter 1, verse 1, is who this book is addressed to, who this prophecy is addressed to. But here we see Israel referenced. Even though the northern nation of Israel had been exiled into Assyria many years before, Even though the nation of Israel as a united force had ceased to exist many years even before that, God here refers to the nation of Israel. Why? Because he's speaking about the people of God. They were not a nation at that point in time. There was no such nation as the nation of Israel. They didn't exist. In the same way, this passage is not referring to the nation of Israel now either, but to the people of God. The people of God are the true Israel. And the people of God rejoice and exult in him with all of their heart. And there are three reasons for this that we see in these verses, verses 14 to 16. First of all, in verse 15, God has taken the judgment off his people. God has taken the punishment off his people. You see it in verse 15, the Lord has taken away the judgments against you. This is what Jesus did for us. Brothers and sisters, we need to understand this. Even now, people still say to me, something has gone wrong in my life, God must be punishing me for something. See these words here. God does not punish his people. It does not happen. Your punishments and judgments have been taken away in the person of Jesus Christ. Know this clearly. Your punishments have been taken away. And what this means for us is though that we, though we will undergo a future judgment, it is a judgment with no worries whatsoever attached to it. For Jesus is our advocate. He is on our side. The punishment is gone. And see what this does for us? It releases us. It releases us to be a rejoicing people. God loves his people. The punishments have been taken away. And verse 15 goes on to say, Your enemy, he has cleared away your enemies. This is the second reason we we rejoice. We rejoice because God has vanquished our final and largest enemy. Sin and death has been defeated at the cross of Jesus. Jesus put to death, death itself. And though we die, and though we suffer in this world, and though we go through difficult times, know this, our enemies have been defeated. We will be given new and eternal life in Jesus Christ, the risen Saviour who lives and reigns for us. Thirdly, we rejoice in God because he is in the midst of his people, verse 16 says. Therefore, we don't fear. The spirit of God dwells within us, his people today. And in the future, we will have not only the spirit of God, but the unfettered access to the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ forever. Now, this doesn't change the world in which we live Bad things still happen. Sin and death and hardship go on. Having God's presence with us does not mean we will uh, remove any of those things. Let me give you an example. People are saying, Christian people are saying at the current moment, I don't need to have medical intervention into my arm uh, to help me with COVID because God will fix it for me. God is with you, but God is not a person who just allows nonsense in the world either. Just to know that God is with us does not mean we will get away with the effects of sin in our life. Does not mean we will defeat death in this world. Does not mean that we will escape hardship. Does not mean that we still need to make wise decisions in this world. All of those things are true. Nonetheless, as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we fear no evil for the Lord is with us. He doesn't fix the problems in this world. He fixes the problems for eternity. And so we rejoice. The Christian is marked by a rejoicing heart before God because he's defeated the judgments and he's got rid of the enemies and he's always with us. And as 1 Peter 2 says that Matt showed us a few weeks ago, we rejoice in God that we might declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvellous light. And so I want to ask you this morning, are you a rejoicing per- person? Are you a person that rejoices? I don't always mean a, a do you have a happy disposition, but I mean in the circumstances of life, the ups and the downs of life, are you a person that turns to joy because of what the Lord has done for you? Reflect on this. On that day, the Lord has taken the judgments against you, removed your enemies and provided his presence with you. And so we rejoice. But then finally, and perhaps most strangely in this passage, not only do we rejoice in God, but he rejoices in us. These last few verses, verses 17 to 20, tell us five things that God does for his people on that day. But perhaps the most surprising is in verse 17. Look at it there. The Lord your God is in your midst a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Wow. God will exalt over his people with loud singing on that day. It's a strange phrase, isn't it, to hear of the singing God. But here he is. He's singing over his people. Here's what this means. God is not a God who tolerates you. God is not a God who begrudgingly saved you. God is a God who rejoices over you and sings over you and loves you. And there I say it, even likes you. See, here's the picture that we sometimes have. God's sitting up on his throne in heaven and yes, he hands out salvation, but he's kind of handing out a begrudging salvation. Look at these idiots down there. I've kind of got to give them salvation. A groaning, sort of going, all right, you're forgiven, and you're forgiven too, and you're forgiven too. But this is not the picture we have here in Zephaniah 3. God is not just putting up with you. God is not begrudgingly forgiving you. Look at how the great writer J.I. Packer puts it in this quote. Is God pleased with me? Is he smiling on me with fatherly favour? The answer to that question is an unqualified yes. God is smiling on you with fatherly favour. He is pleased with you because he sees you as holy and without blemish in Christ. When our Father looks at us, he does not see our miserable performance. Instead, he sees the perfect performance of Jesus. And because of the perfect holiness of Jesus, he sees us as holy and without blemish. Friends, this is revolutionary. God does not love future you. He doesn't love the future version of you. He doesn't love the version of you when you've got everything together and worked all your stuff together and got it out and God's happy with you. You know when you get ready to go out? Can't do it at the moment. You know when you get ready to go out at night? You get yourself all dressed up and maybe you come out of the bathroom only when you're ready to present yourself to others. God's not interested in future presenting you. In Christ, he sings over you. In Christ, he rejoices over you. In Christ, he loves you. In Christ, he likes you. Not a future version of you. This is revolutionary in your life. Well, there's a couple of other things very quickly in the rest of this passage that God does for us. First, he's not only the singer, but he is the saviour, as verses 19 to 20 tell us, and we've already seen that in the passage. Thirdly, he's the comforter. We're told he will quiet you by his love in verse 17. Here's what this means. He will quieten our hearts when we feel as though we couldn't possibly be loved by God. Have you ever had that feeling? I couldn't possibly be one of God's children. I know my life all too well. And look at this passage from 1 John chapter 3. It speaks to this. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. See what this says? When your heart says, I couldn't possibly be a follower of the Lord Jesus, I know my life all too well. When your heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart. As Zephaniah 3.17 puts it, he will quiet you by his love. Fourthly, this passage teaches us that he will change us. He will turn our mourning to praise. He will turn our shame to glory. He will turn us to people who rejoice in him. And then fifthly, he will gather his people. Verse 20 tells us, at that time, I will bring you in. The time when I gather you together. Ultimately, God gathers his people. The story of the Bible can be told by a story of gathering and scattering. This is why at this moment scattering for us is not ideal. We are to be people who gather together and this online church experience is not ideal at all. And as soon as we are able to come back we ought to be the people who gather together as God's people for ultimately, heavenly, God will gather us together. Well this is the sun after the storm, brothers and sisters. On the day of the Lord, on that day, in that time, when Christ died to inaugurate the day of the Lord and when he comes back to consummate the day of the Lord, you need to know that if you're in Jesus, you are hidden in Christ. And this makes you a renewed person, a rejoicing person, a person that God loves and, dare I say it, even likes you. And so as a response, we continue day by day. To take refuge in him. Because in Jesus, in him alone, is the place of refuge where we need to go in the day of the storm. Well, friends, you might like to ask a question or two as we start to finish up uh, this part of our service today. I'd love you to go to slido.com and uh, use the hashtag HBSP. I'm going to take a 90 second break or so, look at some of your questions and then come back and answer them. All right. Well, thank you for the questions that are coming in. i oh, just got one question at the moment. Please continue to ask them on there if, uh, if you like. Uh, the first one is from Ella. Thanks for asking, Ella. Uh, why do you think we believe that this bad thing has happened and so God must be punishing me? Um, I think... Uh, I think the reason we think that is is because so many things in life are reward and punishment, that's the the system that we operate under in so much of uh, of the world around us, and we assume that God must operate the same way. Uh, and uh, there's a sense in which uh, God does operate that way in reward and punishment. so if if we do something against God, then then we do deserve to be punished for it. The problem is um, that we assume that uh, when Christ comes into the picture, that still stays the case. Uh, But what we hear in the gospel of Jesus is that once uh, that comes into the the situation, Jesus is the one who pays for the punishments. Now, of course, uh, Hebrews chapter 12 will talk about uh, God disciplining us uh, and that that, that sometimes he might discipline us to prune the bits off that uh, are not so good and the things that uh, need to be changed. That's a different story. Uh, that's not God punishing at all, but God pruning and disciplining us, and for a different purpose, that holiness might come about. Uh, he wants to make us more like Christ uh, as time goes on. And so uh, that's the the, uh, the situation uh, that, uh, that we find ourselves in most often. Uh, second question that's come through, there's a few uh, coming through now. What music accompanies God's song over us? That's a good question. I don't know who asked that one. I'd love to know. Um, I don't know. Uh, I'll give you one tip. Probably not Fleetwood Mac. That's just going to be my guess. So sorry if you're a fan of Fleetwood Mac. It's not going to be them. Okay? Uh, just get that out of your head right now, please. Okay. Uh, good. I don't know if... That's smart or not to say, but anyway, don't tune out, please. Uh, next thing, uh, sh- uh, Bob says, surely God solves some of the problems of this world. Uh, yes, well, I think that's right, Bob. I think God is in all things, isn't he? So so he's, he's solving problems in the world as much as he's uh, 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 making sure that multi- most ultimately we've got our eternity sorted out. But I think uh, uh, more than anything... Uh, we've got a different set of criteria that we run by. So for us, uh, and I think, Bob, you know this uh, all too well, uh, for for us, we, we want to live that life of, of uh, happiness and pain-free as a humanity. That's what we're sort of seeking for the most. Uh, we want that, and so we want God to fix all of that. Uh, and sometimes God doesn't fix that pain and hardship because he wants to actually help us along the way as well. So it's a mixture of what's going on. Part of the problem too is in the current day and age that we're in, we don't have that word from God uh, about what he's doing in the world particularly, other than he's saving people and bringing people to Christ. And so what problems is he solving now? Well, lots, I'd imagine, just like our tech team behind the scenes are solving all sorts of problems behind the scenes. I bet you God is uh, fixing all sorts of problems behind the scenes too, but we just don't have the revelation on what those are, just like you don't have the revelation of who the tech team are today either, Bob. Uh, So uh, thank you for that. Uh, Final one that I've got here is from Bronwyn, verse 18. What is... Uh, what is the festival? Um, this is about the the gathering. So God's people would gather together for various religious festivals. This was the, the the rhythm of the Israelite life. They would go away and scatter, and they would come together and gather together for the festival. This is an unnamed festival, I think, precisely because they would come together for the religious festival to worship God together at that time. And I think that's why, for us, uh, one of the things that God wants us to do is to gather together to to be. This is all always been what God's people have done. So I don't think the particular festival is on show, but just that God's people would gather for the festival, for a religious festival, for teaching and being together and and fellowship and all those things. And that's what God's uh, people continue to do today. I'm going to pray and then we'll sing. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your kindness to us, that on that day, the day of the Lord, you will rejoice over us. We thank you that that has already started in the death of Jesus, that you don't love some future version of us, but thanks to Christ and his work in our lives, you love us, you rejoice over us, you sing over us, even now. And so we're greatly thankful for this truth in our lives. We ask, please, that you might humble us, turn us away from pride and towards humility that we might find the refuge in you that we need. And having found that refuge, we pray that we might enjoy the sunshine of your love in the afternoon after the storm has passed by. We thank you that you provide salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask, please, that you'd help us to take refuge in him, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.